Welcome to Dentology, the Business of Dentistry podcast. In this podcast, we delve into the non-clinical aspects of dentistry with inspirational guests from across the profession. You will hear incredible life stories, pick up valuable business tips and be entertained. I'm Andy Acton and I'm joined by my co-host, Chris Drevens. Wow, that was great. Really enjoyable. As ever. I mean, it never ceases to amaze me the uh, the depth and the wisdom of the people we talk to. Yeah, and and I think what was brilliant with Corey was that as you as you said in the in the podcast, there's there's the face that people see as the educator, mm. and then that's a conversation when when you listen to it, which really didn't mention that bit whatsoever. No, it was about him. Yeah, and and I think that's what's fascinating yeah. about. I, I love the bit about him being very honest about his entry into ownership, how that worked for him, the challenges he mm. had, but also those tips he gave to younger people Mm. that are coming into the profession that perhaps have business aspirations. I think when they listen to that episode, um, they should have a pen and paper to hand because there are lots of nuggets in there that they can take. Mm. And they take it from somebody who's, who's, you know, walk the walk and talk the talk. And he's got the scars. He's done it. And, and interesting enough, it's in the most perceived prestigious expensive area to do it. So, you know, it's the, the costs of, of delivery and to get to that point, you've got to, you know, have a pretty big old Absolutely. pair of shoulders yeah, to, yeah. to well, be able to do it. One of the true rock stars of dentistry. So here we are again, another episode. Uh, another one. Absolutely. Another one to put in the can, as Absolutely. they say. And today we are so pleased. Um, a good friend of ours. He is. Today indeed. we have a dentist starting his career back in Guise in 1985. The principal of LCIAD, which is the London Centre for Implant and Aesthetic Dentistry in London. An international lecturer, family man, lover of steak and musician, no, Dr. Kai Ferran. Good afternoon. How are you? Good, good afternoon. Um, yeah. lovely, lovely to be here, guys. Thank you for the invitation. We go no, back a long way. We do. We do. We do. And, and we're grateful. You've had a busy morning by the sounds of things. You just come out of surgery I've, after four yeah, hours, you were I've, li- I've literally, yes, I've literally just um, I've flown, flown downstairs and hurtled through the door and, and put my headphones on. had that momentary panic of, oh my God, am I connected? But we'll, 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 we'll go easy on you. And, you need your lunch. You're, you need your lunch. But also, you, it's, it's, it's especially subject today is you. So you know all the answers. So it's not going to be particularly taxing. Well, I think I know all the answers. Some of them, <laughs> some of them, some of them are a bit nebulous still. <laughs> Before we dig into your extensive dental career, um, I think we need some context. So what do we need to know about the young Cori that shaped you into the man you are today? What are the things that were formative oh, in your young life? The less, the better. Um, <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean, I, I grew up in a, a sort of um, a working middle class family, um, only child, I was born in Turkey. I came over here when I was about three um, and spent the first formative years of my life in North London, in Wood Green and Haringey, um, where the Turkish community was. And gradually sort of um, moved a couple of times with my parents. But I had quite a, I had quite a sheltered upbringing. I wasn't, I wasn't a party animal or anything. I was, uh, <laughs> I was sort of, I did, you know, I was, I was, a, I was a good boy, really. Um, later. Save that for they later. Came, life. They came. They came later. Only <laughs> um, child, But but I think things. it was it was one of those things where it was an unspoken thing that you were going to go to university and were going to be a professional. I mean, no, no, but I never even entertained the thought of being a rock star. Um, though there are photographs of me with a guitar when I was about four. We'll, we'll come on to that in good time. <laughs> Did you have long hair, Corey? I didn't. No, I've, ah, never, okay. I've never had long hair. Just too much, too much like hard work. 
not enough time in, time in the day. Um, so I, I don't know how that, I don't even know how I how I got into what I got into. It was just um, it it just it just happened. I don't think I made any uh, specific conscious choices other than kind of like that sounds like a good idea. Let's do that. Oh, wow. um, I, I didn't really have a plan when I was doing it because I didn't know what I didn't know. As mm. as as a lot of people are, you going through school, you don't actually know what life is about. And you don't actually know what's good for you, and sometimes it takes people a while to to learn. Mm. Any um, dentists in the family? Lots. Yeah, oh. I mean, I, I lectured in Istanbul recently. There were five members of my family in the audience who were all dentists. <laughs> um, but and there's a there's a couple of retirees as well. So yeah, we we do have it. But I don't think I don't even think that was that that in, that influenced me. I'm not entirely sure what it was. Um, I think I might even have wanted to do medicine, but my grades just weren't good enough, so I, I settled for dentistry. <laughs> I don't know. Um, a friend of mine reckons he, he remembers me talking about wanting to do dentistry when I was about 13 or 14 at secondary school. But oh, I, wow. I don't remember. I don't mm. remember. I, mm. I kind of fell into it. I thought, you know, it sounds like a good thing. You know, it's, it's medical um, and it's artistic and you're your own boss, theoretically. Mm. Um, and it just sounded like a good, good, good combination. So that's what I went for. Mm. Yeah, well. And that, 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 you, that, that link between art, medicine and, and independence mm. or freedom or however you want to phrase mm. it. And I guess we're all only ever so free, aren't we? But that, that art side of thing interests me because... Obviously, the world you're in now is is there's a heavy aesthetic element to what you do and what you achieve, but you're also an avid lover of listening to music and playing music and creating music. Do those do those two worlds kind of it, it, does that creativity kind of meet at, at some point? Um, I've actually thought about this more recently than I ever have in the past. I mean, when I was younger, I used to build models and paint and draw. You know, I was I was a prolific drawer I, I used to get through like reams and reams of a4 just painting and drawing and um even at university i started getting into doing portraits and things uh, so i've got portraits of a few people i know um and then it just fell by the wayside simply because i didn't have time it takes a long time to draw and paint mm. and you do it when you're a child and you've got time but when you get into university and, and then work, it, it falls by the wayside. And I've always played guitar, but not well. I've never had a guitar lesson in my life until recently. And I've just started now um, with a, with a, um, a chap that, that lives near me who teaches both piano and guitar and music recording. Um, and I've started sort of learning music theory the way I should have done, uh, which is opening some doors. Even after three lessons, I'm thinking, I don't know any of this. <laughs> and I should know. So I've done everything by ear. So I've never been good enough to to turn it into a profession, but it's always been there. So all, through all my life, the the artistic side has been there, and I've never I've never even thought about having a c career in that. Yet my daughter is um, in multi talented in every way. She, so she is she she paints, she draws, she's a digital artist. She is she makes things with her hands. She's a prop maker now in in her course at um, uh, at Guildhall. And my wife also had, my wife Banu also was, was very artistic in a sort of a graphic art type of way when she was younger. So there's something in the family with it, uh, mm. but I've never, I've never pursued it until recently. And I realized that I'm, I'm missing out and the, the guitar thing and the, um, and the music thing, and especially as you get older and you realize how much music actually means to you over your lifespan and, mm. and what, what memories it evokes and, and what the emotional side of music is. Um, you kind of think, actually, I want I want to be able to do this, not just 
not just participate and listen, but I actually want to 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 do it, to play it, and, and mm. understand how it works. Mm. So it's a very S- creative household because I see that there's a 3D digital printer recently entered the house too. Oh yes, yes, my daughter's. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, post, yeah, I yeah, po- yeah. Po- posted this morning. She started. She, st- she started to manufacture her own stormtrooper helmet. So yeah, she yeah, I saw that. I Taking take commissions, is she? Won't take. Won't take long. I think. Um, yeah. So she's uh, she's she's into that kind of thing. She's also teaching herself Japanese. Well, she's she she did teach herself Japanese. And now she's got a tutor, wow. so she's actually quite prolific at Japanese, Japanese as well. So th- there are there are other things than dentistry. Mm. Yeah. I, I'm fascinated, Kai, because you say you're self-taught with a guitar. You've only recently just decided to get lessons to understand the the formality and the structure of it. Yet this is the same person who spent seven years at Guy's doing undergraduate studies, two house surgeon posts in prosthetics and Maxfax, and then two years MSc in Perio. So. Your, your understanding and commitment to the importance of structured learning in that sense is undoubted. Yet you went freestyle with a guitar and after only so many years now have decided to put in place that structured learning. I think I had a, I had a maths teacher at, um, at school who sort of ran some impromptu um, play-alongs at the end of the day. I think I did a term of that. And he sort of taught me how to play Blowing in the Wind. Uh, <laughs> and, and, that, and, that's, and that's where it started. And he... I, because I've never thought about it as a career and I've never actually had the time to take lessons or at least I didn't think I had the time to take lessons or the or the environment in which I could take mm. lessons um I, I never did um mm. my, my my first proper acoustic guitar I bought when I was 16 with my first salary working at Boots um and I still have so the guitar's almost 40 years old now money well um, spent th- 38 yeah, yeah. years and it's still serving me well um I've just ordered another one. <laughs> does Barnu know? <laughs> she does. Yes, yes. I, I, she does she, now. She she does. No, she does. She she I I I deliberated long and hard over it, and um, uh, I've just ordered myself a, an Emerald guitar, which is which is beautiful. It's a thing of beauty. Um, so it's I, I kind of I collect guitar like I collect art. You know, I'm not. I'd rather hang oh, a guitar wow. on the wall than artwork. So right. um, I was watching that thing on the Sex Pistols and. Uh, even though it might surprise you with punk, they, uh, some of them could play instruments, but they uh, they drafted on some bloke because he looked good and basically didn't have a clue how to play the, the guitar and then he just learnt it. And then basically he then went on to be one of the best guitarists that, that people know. You know. I can't remember his name. And he got he, in with his looks. Yeah, yeah basically they said, yeah, wow. you, look, you look good on stage, so we'll have you. <laughs> wow. Go, go back to your time at Guy's Corey. You, you also spent seven years there. During that time, you're going to absorb a ridiculous amount of information what was your your method and your process to learn and importantly how did you retain it i probably need to go back to a levels for that i didn't do very well in my a levels mainly because i think i don't know i didn't know how to work um i didn't know how to learn it was just like you know lecturers dictating me writing it down and it just stayed there and, and until exam time and when i got to guys they put the fear of god in us so basically if you failed any exams in the first year you were out um you know you, they gave you one chance and i failed a couple in my first term because we you know everybody does in their first term i think they just do that to scare you <laughs> but then i thought i really really need to 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 understand how to do this and thanks many thanks to my dad who basically um my parents and i went to foils one afternoon oh. on a saturday and with the whole list of like recommended reading and alternative reading 
and we bought everything. I think my, I don't know. I can't remember how much my dad spent, but it was sort of at that time it was in excess of about two and a half thousand pounds on, on books. And I sort of had the whole. I still have them. I still have them. Wow. So you know, companion to dental studies and various other books. So what I did is is whenever we had a lecture, is I was a very goody two shoes. I was boring as hell at university. Um, uh, so I I would I would go home. And at the weekends, I would open up all the books on which that subject had been lectured on and put everything together. And as I did that, I had the opportunity to instill stuff into my head because I'd now done it twice and I'd done it in my own time and I'd done it without distractions. So when I actually had my notes that I'd handwritten, 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 um, and, and they're still there, files and files of them, um, you it had it had gone through my brain. It wasn't just a case of you know lecturer's notes to my notes without going through the brains of either. It it actually mm-hmm. had it was something I now understood. And when you understand something, you don't forget it. Mm. So the understanding happened at home. And whilst that meant I probably wasn't a social animal and I wasn't didn't really partake in all the social stuff at university that everybody enjoys, at least as much as I should have. Um, that's probably where the foundation of everything I did comes from and why people sort of tell me I've got a fly paper brain and how the hell do you remember that? It's because mm. I learned it properly in the first place and I never forgot it. And and it, that creates an even better structure to learn other things on top of. Um, and so you just pick stuff up as you go along. Um, I'm the sort of person, if I go on Wikipedia and look something up, I'll follow another link to another page yeah, and read that yeah. and then follow a link to another page yeah, and another read that. And then two, up, yeah. two hours has gone by. It's just, it's just me. It's um, interesting you I'm still weird. kept your notes. Yeah, I still have them. I still have them. It's like, you know, do you throw them away? I spent so many hours doing them. It's like a labour of love. So, mm. I, like labor of love. so mm. I guess, no, I probably won't throw them away. Mm. Um were you were you unusual in your approach back then? And do you think that, that young dentists who are working their way through the system to to graduate soon would would adopt a similar approach? Or no, I think I think I was a bit peculiar. I think right. I was a bit peculiar, really. Yeah. Um, Unique, but but it 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 did it for me. Um, it I I don't like being at the front of a class and somebody saying right, why is it like that and, and looking stupid? Mm. So not to look stupid. Um, I became instead a bit of a know-it-all. Eric Waits at guys used to call me the mouth. Ah. Um, so so, so when, when he was lecturing, uh, he'd be like, "Oh, oh, I know, I know." He said, "Not you, anyone else." <laughs> <laughs> so um, it was, it was not. It's nice to learn. I actually, I actually like the process of picking up new information and understanding something, especially if it's out my outside my field as well, not necessarily just in dentistry, mm. but just being able to think, okay, what is this actually about? And it's just, I'm naturally inquisitive. Mm. I well, think that'd be really interesting for people who either are doing postgraduate studies or have trouble with, with learning and retaining information, because everybody learns in different ways, you know, yeah. auditory learners, visual yeah, yeah. learners, whatever it might be, you know. And I guess it's never been easier to receive information you know i'm a big fan of audiobooks and podcasts mm, i sit in the car and, and and they're fabulous and i find that i can retain that information nearly as well as actually reading a physical book it's taken a while to get into that as, no. a, as a way of learning but I, I i can retain that information in the early days it just washed over me yeah. like it was background noise so. as i always remember when i used to do like am dram you know you you could read the script and the answer is you'd never get it but if you actually read it out loud Mm. then that would Almost stick in your it. head rather yeah. than uh, the just reading of it and I think that you know I learned to ha- it like it's you know you learn don't you the ways that p- 
appeal to you yeah. that actually works, it suits, it suits as opposed style. to trying to learn yeah. by something else. Yeah, which is why I think lots of, of standard education only s- is good for the people that fall within mm. you know, the average range. If you fall slightly mm. outside one way or the other, it, it can mm. be quite challenging, can't it? Yeah. Oh, no, yeah. that, that, that was interesting. So, so in terms of your dentistry, you've been in private practice since 1998. Um, or fully private since 98, but prior to that, you did work on the NHS. And we'll come to this at the end as well in terms of the future of the profession, but what was it like working back on the NHS in the in the 90s? Um, I didn't know him any, any better. I mean, I, I, I was on the NHS from about 1990 to about 95, 95, 96. Um, so I actually enjoyed it. Actually, I did actually enjoy it because the level of dentistry we were expected to do at that time was not as high as it is now. Um, I mean, the patient care was more important. So whether um, we were doing amalgam, so no one's actually look, sitting there looking at your, you know, tertiary fissure carving necessarily, but or, you know, how good the aesthetics are. Um, but I think we, we sometimes forget how much knowledge we have now and what protocols we have now in dentistry that we didn't even think about then. Mm. So I did learn how to give really good local anaesthetics. I did r- learn r- how to work really fast. I did learn how to think on my feet. I did learn um, stamina. Um, I learned to get on with patients. I, I learned to get on with staff. I learned to, um, and and very, very, very slowly, I learned about the business of dentistry, though until you actually own your practice, you don't know anything. <laughs> that's right, that's right. We can we can all nod in agreement to that. Yeah. We 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 pre- as you know in previous lives we both work for banks and we spent many years advising businesses on what to do. And then when you buy a business and you realise you're on your hands and knees trying to get a computer to work, that's the the hard that's the hard end of business. It's that military thing, isn't it? A military plan is only as good until you survive first contact with the enemy. <laughs> all your plans go out the window. Yeah. So true, or is so it true. Mike Tyson used to say everything? Everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you you were then in partnership back in 2010. You entered yep. into a partnership. Yep. You've always struck me as somebody who's got a very clear view of what's important to you, what you want to do, and what excellence looks like. Uh, I, I'm not putting words in your mouth, but how did that how did that sit in terms of a partnership? Because you are very clear about what you want and that can sometimes make a partnership great but it can also make it challenging how did that work for you um not well not badly but not well um as you say i i I do have a clear you know if if you like somebody they have a clear vision if you don't like them they're opinionated um (laughs) (laughs) but um i think I, i learned a lot from the partnership side the first thing was you you have to have like-minded people around you if you don't have like-minded people around you it's just going to go nowhere um you need somebody who say shares the same ethos but not necessarily the same way of doing something but just the same the desire to have the same outcome yeah so there are many ways to skin a cat but you need to have that mentality where you have a target what is your objective in this Mm. um I found it very difficult being in partnership because all you know if you want to do something you have to clear it with two or three or four other people first 
it just doesn't work. Things just don't get done. Um, mm. Either somebody doesn't want to spend money or somebody doesn't think it's a good idea or somebody thinks it's too much or somebody thinks it's not enough or, or whatever. And, and I found that very frustrating, which is finally when this building came up. I thought, right, I'm doing this on my own. And I may fail and fall flat on my face, and I very nearly did on several occasions, but at least it's my responsibility and I don't have to be beholden to somebody else mm. um, to, to make the decisions that I feel are important. Mm. Um, but of course, everybody's opinion of what's important is with respect different. Um, yeah, so I, yeah, I, I can't expect everyone to think like me, but luckily there have been a fair few that do. Mm. Mm. And I think w when, when situations like that come up, I think it's quite often when people kind of leave jobs or have a major change, they're quite often there's a push and a pull. So yes. I think what you described there was quite a lot of push, mm. you know, frustration, being with partners, things not happening quickly enough, perhaps not alignment in terms of what you achieved. What, what was the pull? What was the attraction of, of being the sole principal and running your own business? I'm, I'm the sort of person that if I go to a conference and I look at how somebody does something, I think, right, I want to be able to do that. I understand how he does it. I'm going to go away and think about it and read about it and practice it and do it. Um, and I'm going to need, you know, 15 grand worth of equipment to do it. You know, I need a new surgical kit. I need this, I need that. And I invested in it because I wanted to do it. Now, why did I want to do it? That I can't tell you. It's just it's just in my nature that I want to do something to the best of my ability. Mm -hmm. um, or at least, you know, the best of my ability doesn't mean it has to be perfect, but it means it has to be to the best of my ability. I don't I don't cut corners. Um, and I'd feel bad if, I'd, if, I, if it isn't perfect. So I, I'd come back again and try it until it is. So the, the objective isn't perfection. It's just not want, not feeling like you haven't done mm. something perfectly, if you see what I mean. It's a, it's a slightly different approach. What I actually found most frustrating was um, people can be disingenuous when they don't want to have an adult conversation uh, rather than saying, right, this is how I feel and this is what I want. It's like, yeah, 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 yeah. And then undermining you and what you stand for every opportunity. Mm. That I found the hardest thing to deal with. And um, be, being a Leo, I didn't want to sort of, you know, kowtow and say, well, this is just how people are. I wanted an environment where I could actually say, all right, if it's not working for you, then go. Mm. But I, don't, I didn't want to be undermined mm. in my in my own environment mm. Mm. so that i think that the, the objective of earning a practice was to be in control not in a tyrannical sense but having the options but knowing mm. that i have the options to to take it as i feel fit mm. rather than being beholden to somebody else mm. and as you came out of that partnership you, you you said kind of it took a while to get a grasp on the business side of things did you come out of the partnership of a better, more rounded business person, or were you still quite early days on that? I, I probably have to ask Chris that because Chris was the first person that ever looked at me and said, "Yeah, you got no collateral, you got no prospects. I like your CV. I'll lend you some money." When <laughs> <laughs> he was at Bank of Ireland, <laughs> I remember that. I, I, I do remember we sat in a room, didn't we? And I we did saying something about. I, I'm pretty sure I said. I, I can't believe with this CV that you're not going to be successful. <laughs> and, I, and I think that was it. We got the loan. I got the loan approved, didn't we? Obviously. You did, Bank of Ireland. You, you allowed me to buy into my very first practice as a partner, <laughs> for, for, which, for, which for which I'm great, very grateful because it, it did allow me to get on, on, a, on a ladder, which, um, which is hard to do. 
which mm. is hard to do. So I am, I'm very appreciative of the fact that you, you took a punt on, on someone you knew nothing about. So That's good old-fashioned see, banking for it you. Is, it, 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 where you, the, where you knew the manager. And then, yeah. you, then you see the CV and you go, yeah, this place going to be but fine. It, but, it, but it worked as well, that gut instinct. And, and the thing is, whilst you lend money for people to buy a business, you're actually investing in the people. Yeah, if, you, if, you, if you've ever watched Dragon's Den, the, the dragons, they're always interested in the people, their passion, yeah. their motivation. The business they've got is the reason they're standing in front of them. But the ongoing will be it's the people that, yes. that actually makes it work. Yeah, definitely. definitely. 100%. You were never going to be unemployed, you see. That's the way that was my, that was my safety net. <laughs> yes. He, tell, a, he tells was, you now. That was a There's long time. When was that? that was, was that the 1997, 1997, 1997, 1998. We've all got older and greyer. I'll do it after a moment for at Tucker, is and then, and then catapult ourselves forward. You, you made reference to where you're sitting, but you're now you're in a, a beautiful restorative four surgery practice in London's West End in, in Wimpole Street. Some might even say swanky. Uh, it, it, it may have been said. Swanky may have been used in, in that context. It's, so it's, it's, a, it's a very nice building. I, 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 was, very, I was very lucky to find it um, with, the, with, the, uh, with the duration of lease it had and the size mm. and, the, and the usability. So there are a lot of... There's a lot of large buildings in the West End. Some of them just don't lend themselves to being a good practice. So mm. I'm very lucky to have this. But also very distinctive with the red brick. It's a it's a really iconic building yeah, on, on the is. street. And you, you talked about the things that, that frustrated you in partnership. So now you're, you're king of your own empire. What's the ethos, the culture, the approach to dentistry that you have now, now in your business? Um, I still like to think it's a democracy. Um, it, I don't want to be a tyrant because the, it, it doesn't it doesn't lend itself to anything. The trick is to surround yourself with the people who understand your ethos and and, and, and subscribe to it. And I've learned through tough experience that you can't force people to be like that. Some people have their own, well, most people, in fact, have their own interests first, and then everybody else's interests second. Mm. Um, and it takes a certain level of commitment, and it takes a certain level of um, patience uh to to achieve you know to get to a certain level and it's taken me 30 years mm. um so i like the team i have around me i like the fact that i now have a practice where everybody understands why we do what we do how we do what we do um and the benefit of it both for the patients but also for our working lives where we have less problems with confusion and miscommunication mm. and money and you know arguments and things like that we're very very clear when we communicate with with our patients and each other um as to what the rules are mm. and what the what what's what what rules can be broken and what rules are sacrosanct um and but it's 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 a little it's a law of incremental gains there you can't mm. do this in one hit it's mm. it's every single episode teaches you something that then improves your approach to the next episode mm. Mm. so it's a process not it's an so event important to get people on that journey isn't it to get that yeah. buy-in isn't it otherwise they just become sort of saboteurs if you're not careful and and hold you back because mm. they're either polluting your atmosphere for that choice of words but it is such an important way in a primeval way we we live and, and work and behave in tribes and i think tribes that, that subscribe to a certain way of thinking doing things become very strong but also i think if somebody enters that tribe who doesn't get that ethos and culture they stand out very quickly but but i think the the byproduct of that is, is if it's not strong to start with 
you get mm. a real mishmash of conflicting people and conflict, conflicting views and nobody really knows what's the things that's important and not. And it's quite hard to change your team though, isn't it, with you know, with HR law. You know, you mm. have to go down a whole process to try and move people either in along your journey or out of your journey. Mm. But it's it, as you say, patience. It never actually occurred to me that anyone would be so vociferously against doing things the right way that I, I had no no way of combating it. That yeah. I just sort of sat there and disbelieved, like, why wouldn't you want to do it correctly? Why would you want to cut corners at this I, level? I mean, I think one of the hardest things as a business <laughs> owner is to realise that people don't work like you. They don't think like you, don't you? Like one of the, you know, yeah. one, where even, when, even when we were really small as a business, you'd go, well, why, why are you thinking like I'm thinking? <laughs> and you're working in the bank, you know. You're like, well, but why? That just seems really sensible, but you're just ignoring it. And then you realise that people are wired differently or yeah. just don't want to be. For sure, for sure. They are wired differently. Um, and it can get it can get emotive because you, you work so hard, you know, you spend so much of your energy trying to get things right that the instant something happens to disrupt it, it's mm. a huge amount of time and energy that you don't necessarily have to try and put it right. Um, and, and it's stressful. Um, you know, owning, if someone said to me, you know, would you, would you do it all again if you, if you knew what you knew now? Would you own a business again? And I'm, I'm kind of, I'm more in the no camp than I am in the yes camp, though I suddenly then go back and say, well, if it was a no and I didn't yeah. own my own business, how, you know, I'd just have different conflicts. Mm. Um, are you but good at sort of dealing with that hassle and stress yourself, or you know, do you like going shout in the middle of Cambridge Square or something? And I, I have my go methods. Go for a walk, go for a run, <laughs> whatever it might be. I Play have a guitar. My, I, I have I have my methods. Um, I mean, some sometimes it is it has been you know distractingly difficult. Um, and, and, and Andy, who's sort of been my agony aunt for the last ten years, <laughs> knows knows that very well. I mean, you know, I sort of. Um, I explode and I say, Andy, coffee Friday morning. He said, yep, see 8.30. And I sit there and I rant for two hours. And he says, he says, yeah, 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 but you know, there's a solution. And, you know, I'm totally grateful to Andy for just always being a, the positive take on things and just calming me down and saying, actually, you know, don't worry about it. This is perfectly normal. Go this way instead of that way and it will work. And, and he's been right pretty much every time. So I'm very grateful to, to both of you, really, for your, for your influence on my careers. <laughs> my career. Thank you very much. Your influence, collective, correct, collective <laughs> influence nice on my career. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful because, because, you don't. You have you, you go home and you rant to your wife, um, or you have some very close friends, but they have their, they have their own problems, mm. um, and you know, they'll sympathise, but they can't solve your problems. You have mm. to do that yourself. But sometimes, yeah, you, you, you know, I have a punch bag out in the backyard. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that has seen you know little little peaks of activity yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when, 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 when Chris asked you about would you do it again and it was like a yes or no and you said no you, like you say life's never really that simple it's never as binary as perhaps sometimes it would it would like to be so assuming that you did it again what would you change what would you have done differently that might would have perhaps made, made it more comfortable would, for you more enjoyable I would have been a lot more selective in the people I chose to work with, um, you, in in the back of your head, it's like, oh, I'm going to, you know, these people are going to come in and I'm going to help them get to a certain level and nurture them and, you know, get the teamwork in and make everything perfect. And 
some people just aren't interested. They kind of just come for the ride. Um, and it's my it's that thing about you know the bees, butterflies, and leeches thing yeah. that you have, where you know you've got the bees who are like you know your, your, your Cristiano Ronaldo's and your who are, who are there all the time doing their best, getting the results. You know they get the ethos. Um, you know, I've got Shiraz Khan with me, who's superb, and he's been like he's been with me for three years, and he's he's built his own practice in here. You know, he has his own personality, his own uh, way of doing things, but he understands what the rules of the practice are, and he works within them, and he realizes that that actually benefits him. Mm. So he's he's the B, he's the guy in the in the practice. I've got um, uh, Gustavo and Fabio also who joined in the last year, who are also growing the practice which is really nice you know i want i want my associates to be the people that actually lead the practice in the future i don't want to be the person that everyone comes to see i want it to be them mm. so the bees are important um the leeches are the people that come in and they don't really want to partake in the ethos they don't want to put in the hard work they just want the benefits they don't really respect the staff or the patients it's just about the money or whatever it is that they are after and you, you you spot them pretty quickly and they don't last long. The difficult one is the 80% in the middle, which are the butterflies, who are lovely people and do nice work and, you know, lovely to the patients and lovely to the staff, but they really don't, don't really pull their weight. Mm. And they just kind of coast through life, um, not really contributing to the business, but not bad enough that you can fire them. And it's like, mm. those are the hardest people, I think. You, you know, you say it's hard to sack someone. It's like... It, it is hard to, to, to fire somebody who is ineffective but pleasant. Um, and and, and that, uh, that's the person I found I found actually the most frustrating. Yeah. And I think that's the same for any business owner. I think there, there, there was a study done in, um, it was, wasn't the States, it was a few years ago now, and they found out that 55% of employees, of people kind of working within a business, did the absolute bare minimum to not get sacked. 55%, so over mm. half the people working in the business would, would literally just skimming above the line to not be dismissed for one mm. reason or another. And if we kind of take that across all businesses, it's it, it's hard to accept that lots of people who we work with, they're just going through the motions. Mm. And, mm. you know, it's it's disappointing in some ways, but then also it means that if you've got good systems and processes. And then you're about building cultures, aren't you? Because yeah. cultures then sort of can supersede that, but you're back to then what? you were saying Corey, is that that takes time and patience to to get people on your journey yeah. doesn't it yeah, type it doesn't just happen overnight but, but also when you do ask those people who are the 55 percent what is important to you they don't have much to say for themselves no, no. Either. you know argue with me come and say no mm. this is wrong i want to do it this way this, what, what you're doing is stupid it works much better this way mm. i'd rather have that conversation than yeah whatever well, you think that guy we were talking to yesterday, so he's got a, a team and he said to the guys, we're getting really busy and we can recruit five five more people um, and you're staying your same hourly rate of like £10 or whatever the number was. And he said, or um, I can employ five more people and I'll increase your rate to £16, but you'll have to work a bit harder. And all the people decided that they just wanted to have a, an easy life. So could he employ four, five more people? Because they just wanted to sort of like... They, they weren't bad. They just wanted to... One baggers. Enjoy their life. Yeah. It's it a fascinating one, really. Rather than earn extra money, they would prefer to... I think to also, I think there's a, there's a lesson in there. And it's that thing about um, understanding what, what motivates and drives each individual person. And it becomes complex and 
time consuming as opposed to just having a particular way that suits everybody you try and kind of you know in a micro way make sure you have an environment to suit the people in the business the infuriating thing is sometimes there isn't anything that motivates them. That's the that's the problem. Yeah. The, mm. the problem is that you, there there is no hinterland. It's just it's just they drift, and you think something must be important to you. And it's like yeah. <laughs> nothing comes to mind. And, and for <laughs> people like that are very driven and clear about what motivates them, that, it's that, infuriating. That, that, I was going to say that's quite yeah, challenging. Work, that's it? quite challenging because you're very clear about what's important to you because that's basically the, the the underpinning principles of your practice so we all we know what's important mm. to you so to be working with people who who would appear to have nothing that's important to them um strikes at your core that's quite isn't? hard and as you say that that's not the minority either no yeah we know that now <laughs> <laughs> uh, we've, we've talked a lot over the years about about business um you know managing people budgets marketing forecasting um, and, and you said in the past you've come to realize that clinical skill is nothing without other soft skills and business acumen uh, and now like adding to these into the mix for younger colleagues to consider so you you've obviously invested hugely on on the clinical side um, your practice ownership experience and learning how did that come was that literally through experience or, or have you put any kind of formal learning in place over the years and and what are you able to pass on to the younger generation in terms of trying to accelerate their their own journey through through your experience it's a, I, i'm going to give an analogy that that sort of came up one evening while we were having a drink with someone and i said it's a bit like a video game if they, if i throw you into the into the you know level 264 of a video game from scratch you'll get slaughtered in short order but if you go through all the levels and you kill all the bosses and you're gonna you take your your fair amount of clubbing <laughs> on 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 the way over the head and get knocked out and killed and come back and respawn again, it's a little bit like that. And by the time you finished a video game, you kind of realise that it's about the experience and and all the time you've spent doing it mm. that makes you who you are. There is no shortcut. There is no shortcut to experience. Um, what would I say in terms of practically what do I do tomorrow if I'm three years qualified and I want to want my own practice or I want to be an associate in a good practice um, the the first and foremost one is find the right people to work with you can start off in a sandwich shop and and rule the world if you start with the right people mm. it doesn't matter what you do where you start doesn't matter what you're doing when you start but if you're with the right people and you have the same mindset and the loyalty and the honesty and the hard graft, you will get there. You will get there. The problem is you can be a genius, have all the money in the world, and if you're in the wrong environment, it will be for nothing. That mm. is the biggest, that is the, you know, the, the right people make you feel good about yourself. They make you feel um, that it's worth it all. And, and they'll be there when you're feeling down, they'll be there when you're feeling up. Um, and if you find the right people, if you find the right environment, spend time to do it. And don't worry about hopping around three or four practices if you need to. Mm. Um, don't expect it all to be hunky-dory in the first place you land. Learn from it and move on. If it's great, great. Mm. But for me, it was the big mistakes I made were always either being in the wrong place or being with the wrong people mm. and expecting more from them than I should have. Mm. 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 I think Good lesson. I think that's really good tips. 
really really good tips because increasingly dentistry is becoming more entrepreneurial you know, there are more and more younger dentists looking for everything else will come everything what, i mean what is an entrepreneur an entrepreneur is somebody who basically spots an opportunity and invests time and money to make it something that will give him a return on his investment whether it's emotional or financial mm. or f fame um whatever it is that you you want for me the bottom line was i wanted to be a practice i wanted to be a clinician that was trusted um i wanted people to know that, right if you go there they'll do a good job they will not cut corners they will not fleece you they will not damage you they will be honest with you that is a good place to go is really the bottom line reputation is everything mm. that for me that that's what was important so so a mistake for me isn't a mistake it's it amplifies right? mm. if something goes wrong it has a knock-on effect whether with its patients or whether it's staff or whether it's colleagues or whether it's just your own personal reputation you know, can't 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 sleep at, you know can't sleep at night feeling mm. um that is that to me has always been paramount just that's something mm. i just not a corner i would cut you you set um incredibly high standards and, and not just for the people around you but upon yourself as well did you still have the ability to enjoy your success yeah very much so i mean i i, I like where i am in my profession um i have a lot of very good colleagues who are also in very good places in their profession and have paid their dues to get there they haven't done it overnight. Um, the overnight guys may be successful for a while, but if you don't have the hinterland and, 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 and the depth in, in, in time and experience, um, there will at some point be a rude awakening wh which you will learn from. You'll have a boss battle that you can't win mm. uh, and you'll have to go back a, you have to go back a level. Mm. We've all done it. We've all done it. We've all made really stupid mistakes. I've, re I've made some really stupid mistakes um, through maturity, through presumption through um rarely through laziness m mostly because just misjudgment um but you you know every single one of those is a lesson mm -hmm. and you get to where you are and now people sort of say to me like Cora you look at something and you see stuff and I don't see it it's like well okay I didn't see it 20 years ago either mm -hmm. I, s I see it now because I've been burnt by this that and the other and the reason the rules are here for every rule I have it's it's to avoid something that made me feel bad in the past mm. Right, yeah, yeah, true. <laughs> so that I mean, so learn from my mistakes and don't make your own, especially not on yeah, my time. I must admit, I, I think the phrase, <laughs> you know, learn, learn from that, your yeah. mistakes that's the crappiest phrase ever. I'd prefer to learn from learn somebody, from somebody else's, else's mistakes, mistakes. <laughs> it's much better. Sometimes they have to be your own, <laughs> they do. That's where you truly learn, yeah, no, absolutely. There, there are certain things it doesn't actually stick and, and make sense. Uh, so, picking sort of carrying that, that sort of conversation on. What are the big, big issues that the profession is facing over the coming years? What are the things that are coming down the track that are likely to affect the profession? Well, at the very beginning, I think we're being deprofessionalized. I think we're being turned into a global service industry and eventually the profession will die. I mean, Nairn Wilson has just set up the, the College of General Dentistry and his argument is the dental profession doesn't have a representative body from a clinical point of view that carries any gravitas with policymaking. Um, mm. And I would encourage everybody who's listening to, to, to join because that uh, we need our own Royal College. We need somebody to set the clinical standards um, because we don't have anybody setting clinical standards. The BDA is effectively a, um, it's a trade union and it has, it's a, it's a learning resource, which is great. 
but it doesn't really set the clinical parameters. It doesn't say, right, this is how this should be done and this is what a minimum standard should be. The GDC sets that for us, but there is it's nothing's written down. It's not really, you know, we have the GDC standards, which mm. is the mm. ethical side of dentistry, but we don't actually have a clinical set of standards. We don't have anybody for the media to go to when they want to say, right, well, is this normal? What, what is What is your view on this? So I think we need, I think we're being deprofessionalized. I think we are being turned into, and especially with this thing about, you know, how much for an implant gub or how much for a crown gub, you know, we are, we are becoming, we're not salesmen of commodities, we're professionals. So your fee should be your fee. What your crown costs you, or what your cleaner costs you, what your electricity bill costs you is absolutely not the patient's business. Hmm. You should have a fee based on your knowledge and the patient's trust in you and your abilities. And who's that so being driven by, Cora? Is that being being driven by the I think population and patients into dentistry or dentistry marketing itself poorly? I, no, I think, I think it's being driven by the fact that that's how most of the world works from a business point of view. But we've, 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 we've instead of us saying, right, we're professionals and that doesn't actually apply to us, um, it only applies to us in the background as we run our practices. But this sort of, um, the, the patient's view of us is, is people who earn, you know, vast amounts of money. We we uh, we have to earn vast amounts of money to to be able to provide the service that we provide. Make the investments. Uh, but that professionalism, you know, I spend most of my weekends writing letters and reports, and and you know, it's no fun. It's not a fun way to live. But it's if you don't do it, then things things go wrong. And mm -hmm. and for for every case in the GDC at the moment, there is a there is a, a a story where something hasn't been looked at properly, and the professional time hasn't been spent. I think we are struggling to to maintain the gravitas of a profession at the moment and i think the older guys can see it um i was out with a colleague yesterday who's, who's still energetically practicing he's, he's now 70 um plays tennis every day but he said you know do you feel do you feel that it's the same as it was and i said no i don't actually it doesn't it doesn't feel the same now is it wrong should should we be a service industry should we be able to you know you know Mail order your orthodontic treatment. Yeah, maybe we maybe we should. I don't know. Um, maybe that's what it is going to come to. But if we lose the profession as it stands, then we lose something very valuable that we won't be able to get back again. Hmm. So I think we are being deliberately, and sometimes we're blind. We're, you know, some people are sleepwalking into into being salesmen as opposed to clinicians and professionals. Interesting. Mm. That um, that organisation you're saying that Professor Wilson has started, um, we'll stick a link in our mm. show notes. What what was the organisation called, Kai? It's College of General Dentistry. So basically, it's replaced the FGDP, which used to be part of the Royal College of Surgeons. Oh, yeah. But but it's actually our own college now, as right. opposed to being affiliated with the RCS. Um, and Nan's worked very hard on this, and I, yeah. and conceptually, I understand why it's an important thing, mm. um, because we actually need a a solid clinical representation mm. um, that we don't have with any other organization. The FGDP is no more, and this is the replacement. Mm. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Makes sense. No, so, uh, uh, yeah, I, I, and I think it's it's a good debate and conversation to start now um, because, you know, the profession altogether is a very powerful force. Mm. Um, I just don't think it comes together... Um, 
often enough in, in in a way to try and drive the change that perhaps is needed over the coming years. Mm. It, it can be quite fractured. And it's better to get ahead of the curve than it is to be on the yes, behind on the it. back end of it. On the back end of it. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It is. I I, f- I think it's. I think it's very tough in view of you know, t- dentist dental tourism on the one hand, and this kind of uh, you know, let's undercut our colleagues and get the business mentality. There is so much work out there for everybody, and I think mm. the if by you know slashing your fees and you know advertising to the lowest common denominator, you're doing yourself and the and the profession and the patients a disservice. I think you need to mm. keep it at a certain level. And mm. I feel that level's just dropping over time. Mm. Mm. So let's roll forward a, a chunk of time. And you've just hung up your handpiece and you've stretched <laughs> your arm out and a plectrum happens to fall into your hand. <laughs> and you're, you're relaxing at home in your, your music studio where you're creating your music with your guitars around you. Is, is that your happy place? Is that where you can truly relax? Yeah, especially if I'm on summer holiday at the same time in my summer house. I think that that's that's kind of um, me. My friend Michael Sultan came out to the summer house this year to Turkey to spend a few days with us, and he just, um, you know, just I was just sort of there one morning around breakfast time, just playing some guitar, and he just said, "You live in the dream." He said, "This is this is what I dream of when I retire." And you know, it, it's a very valuable thing. And mm. yes, you know. I'm, I'm I'm not good enough to, you know, perform. It's it's purely for me, but I enjoy doing it, and it's it's something that I can spend hours and hours on, uh, and not think about dentistry at all while I'm doing it. So and it's and it's really grown in the last seven to eight years. Mm. Um, the fact that I've, you know, especially during lockdown, when I actually had time to practice and I got quite good at playing a few things. Um, to the point where you know it wasn't just subjective. People who heard me sort of said, "That's really good." I didn't really do that, and it's like, well, so could we expect to see some duets between you and Doug Watt? Um, well, <laughs> might, we might do. He's he's coming down to train us on trios in a couple of weeks' time. Oh, so, uh, okay. So uh, yes, we 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 may all do. I mean, you know, we he, he, Doug has sort of taken over as the as the lead of the the, the tubular tones who yeah, got set up yeah. during during lockdown, and I just haven't had a chance to practice them. But I have to say, you know, when they were playing at uh, at the tubulars conference, I felt very jealous that I wasn't off sta- on that stage oh, with them. Right, there you go. next time I'm going to be uh, I'm going to be ready. Yeah, I must admit, I'm, I am fascinated by the number of people in dentistry that have a very creative edge. Um, but also are very interested in the aesthetics and the art mm. and the creation of dentistry. You know, there's yourself, Doug, Andrew, and, and there's a tubal tones crowd. And then we were speaking to um, Lovin, Lovin, mm. um, Gavin Rearsen, who um, he's a rapper. We've obviously got Millard um, Shadru, who's done his his, um, you know, his his parodies for years. It, it just interests me how there are so many creative people in the profession. Mm. And I, I don't think it's a coincidence that people who are creative um, are drawn to a, a profession where there's a, a creative artistic they can still be element to it. You can't sort of be the creative as a GP, can you really? Like, I'll tell you what, no. let me just have a go at you know, <laughs> It doesn't quite work, does it? <laughs> it's appendectomy in B minor. Yes. Yeah, that's right, yeah. <laughs> tell you what, let's have your heart out and I'm going to do it in a different way today. <laughs> doesn't quite work. Now, I mean, it's, it's, I think everyone should, everyone should have a hobby. Um, everyone should have something where they can go and makes them feel happy that they they can they can 
sort of be distracted from the sort of stuff that's ricocheting around in your head, um, especially if you run your own business and you're working in a high-intensity environment. Mm. Uh, and the, the the guitar and, and I've also got some keyboards and I like making silly sounds on keyboards as well. Just to, just I don't play any piano, no piano lessons, not even self-taught. Um, just <laughs> what sounds good. Um, but it's just it's just fun. I mean, it's it's my hobby. And as I said, I'd, you know, I'd, people buy artwork. I'd rather hang a guitar on the wall than yeah. than, than a, than we a all painting. We need downtime for our brains. Don't yeah, we? we do. We yeah. do. It's the best. It's the best there is. I think for me. Yeah. Brilliant. Corey, we, we always wrap up in the same way, uh, just for consistency. You like to ask our guests the same two questions. Yep. So the first one that we, we have for gauge you our guests on it. is you are the fly on the wall. You can be the fly on the wall in a situation. So let us know where and when you'd like to be in a, a fly on the wall. Where would that be? Well, presuming a fly has ears and can understand the conversation. Um, Let's go with that. I think I think the Oval Office would be great, wouldn't it? <laughs> you just got to put a bug in the Oval Office and just listen, just for a few years, and see what see how it all see where all the mistakes are made. <laughs> yeah, I think probably from the Watergate, though, isn't it? I was going to say, yeah, yeah. I think probably for the 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 last few weeks of Barack Obama, and then perhaps running through Trump to a couple of weeks after he left would probably be a good time to. <laughs> or, or in Trump's limo with that Capitol Hill meeting. That yes. quite interesting, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, I think. I mean, I, I don't know. You, 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 nobody knows what goes on around behind closed doors. There's a, there's a billion conversations that take place mm. that you you have no idea, you know, what goes on. But yeah, I thought. I think you know, l- looking at the way America's waded through its foreign policy in the last thirty years, it's like or fifty years maybe. Um, I think I think that would be probably where I'd put the bug, okay. <laughs> just and for entertainment value. And, <coughs> and if you could meet if you could meet somebody, who would you like to be given the opportunity to sit down and have a a Goodman's steak and a glass of red wine with? Um, and before I answer that, we the, I saw this question and my and, and my and my friend Gustavo said, okay, what we need here is we need Michel Roux to be the chef, and then we need Stephen Hawking. And we need Bill Gates to make Stephen Hawking's voice recognition go faster. <laughs> so um, Gustavo picked three people. Yeah. Um, I'd, 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 honestly, you know they say never meet your heroes. Mm. Um, so I, I don't know. I think the people who probably inspired me emotionally over the, over the years actually probably someone like Steven Spielberg, actually. Um, because I think he's got this the power of imagination, but he's a very well-grounded and very well-connected and very experienced individual in life. Um, but I also like what he's done with, you know, he's basically the background to our childhood, isn't he? Spielberg and Lucas yeah, and, yeah. and that gang. Um, so, I'd, you know, actually Spielberg and Lucas for an evening for, would, would be would be pretty would be pretty pretty good fun, I think, mm. without getting too serious about it. Yeah. Um, but of course, there's l- there's lots of people. I mean, you know, the, the old classic ones about you know world leaders and things. You know, Obama yes. would be fun. Um, Springsteen would be another one. Mm. <laughs> what, what, what's interesting for me is uh, a, a lot of what we talked about. We kind of started with the music and the creativity, and we kind of bookended it with the same thing. And and you're you jumped into somebody who is one of the most you know famously creative people of our, of our generation so it, it all knits together doesn't it you're obviously very passionate about the creation of things and how that manifests itself very clever idea i like that yeah. a dentist yeah, it, it, was, that was very good, it, it was it wasn't a dentist <laughs> <laughs> very seamless 
Brucey baby. Exactly. Yeah, oh yeah, Bruce Bean said, I've not seen him perform, but apparently he's on stage for like four, four and a half hours when he comes he's, out. He was, he was good at it. He's coming again next summer. Actually, if you want to really listen to a good Springsteen, is the, on Netflix, Springsteen Live on Broadway is his whole life in a, in a one-man show. Oh. Very, very recommended for anybody who's a fan and anybody who's thinking about being a fan. He's, that, yeah. that's, that's a good show. Brilliant. Yeah. All right, we'll, we'll let you go. We know yeah. you've got surgery again this afternoon. You need to eat, you need to drink, you need to have a few minutes rest. We really, really appreciate your time. Yeah, it's been wonderful. It's been I great. I appreciate the invitation, guys. A thank slightly you very much. different, we're normally sitting across a table with tea and toast, so it was nice to do it this way. You could do that at Goodman's on Friday. <laughs> <laughs> right, go and enjoy your afternoon. Thanks a lot, Corey. Cheers, guys. Have Cheers, a good day. Corey. Thanks, man. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dentology, where we discuss the business of dentistry. If you like what you heard, please do subscribe where you found this episode. That would be amazing. And also follow us on Instagram.